text this morning. Uh, we're going to continue in our study in the book of Acts. Uh, we'll finish up chapter 1. The Alphas can be dismissed. Uh, and I think it is on page 1080, if I just read that properly. We're going to start in verse 12. If you're able and would like to, please stand for the reading of the scriptures. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, and Peter, and James, and John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons, who was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his bowels gushed out and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Al-Kadama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who would accompany us during all the time that the Lord went, Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in his ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scripture this morning as we get to even practice some of the things that they modeled for us. God, would you be glorified in our time together? Would you help us to encourage one another? Would you speak to us through your word and even through my mouth? And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, as Dave just shared uh, about the good things that God is doing here in churches in New England, particularly through some Baptist churches, which we are part of, I also heard recently that 50% of Baptist churches in New England are going to need a new pastor in the next five to seven years. Many of these churches have no plans. Some of these pastors will retire. Some of them will move on. Some of them will come and leave because of circumstances. We have no idea what will take place in the years ahead. Some do have a succession plan. And by the way, this is not me declaring I'm going to leave anytime soon. 
But what will those churches do? Who will lead them? What role do we have as a church in coming alongside them? So consider the church that we just read about in Acts chapter 1. Jesus was with these guys for three years, walking with them, teaching with them, showing them amazing things. He did a really good job of leading them. He did a really good job of shepherding them. Even in their mistakes and failures, Jesus was with them. For me, it was hard to come to Cornerstone to follow in Brad's footsteps, to follow in Marty's footsteps. They had a history with all of you that I did not. I would ask questions, and sometimes I still do. Would this church still trust me? Maybe you felt, can we trust that guy from California with tattoos? It's fine. It's natural to ask these questions. What will we do? Where will we focus? Will we collectively move forward as a body of believers? Should we follow the leadership of Aaron and the elders? These are similar questions. This fledgling church in the early history of the church as a whole needed to consider. And as we just read, they have a leadership opportunity to carry out that Trinitarian task that we saw last week to the ends of the earth. The gospel needed to go and someone and some group of guys needed to take the lead. And as we survey this passage, as we break it down, we see three big things that these biblical leaders needed to do. Peter steps up and this church will be guided, will be guided through a devotion to three things. Fellowship, the word of God, and to prayer while they're trusting God's sovereign hand. This church will get to work via the ordinary means of grace that we saw last week. In the first paragraph, it shows us that first devotion, that they were devoted to fellowship. Recall last week, Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem. The coming of the Holy Spirit will be upon you and then you will go to the ends of the earth and bear witness to who I am and what I have done. They immediately obey the words of Jesus in the text. As those angels reminded them to go to Jerusalem, they go to Jerusalem. We see that in the text. They return. They go up the hill. They go up from the Mount of Olives. They continue to arise and to go into an upper room. Do you see this progression of this group of believers going upwards? Together, they obey God's commands. And they find themselves in a room. Okay, now what do we do? Will we go to the ends of the earth by boat or will we walk? Will we all go together or will we all go our separate ways to go to the ends of the earth? Will it be for a long amount of time or will it be for just a short, quick trip? Does anybody know the directions to the ends of the earth? Who's going to take the lead? Friends, we ask similar questions all the time in this church. How will we lead the church in prayer? What outreach, outreach events will we engage with to reach our community? Should our men's and women's studies go through books of the Bible or books about books of the Bible or how we should conduct ourselves as believers? The Bible isn't always clear as to what we are to do specifically in the decisions that we make, just like these brothers. 
Should we celebrate communion weekly or should we do it monthly? Should we have a whole special service to do that? Do the elders make decisions? Do the leaders with elders and deacons make the decisions? Or does the church make decisions? Should we fix the roof? Should we fix only part of the roof? Should we fix the whole part of the roof? Should we go with this company or that company? These are questions that Christians have to answer all the time. These are real questions that we are considering as a body of believers. How do we serve the people entrusted to our care with the youth group? Do they get served in this Sunday morning setting or maybe in our small group setting? Or do we have special events for them? The Bible doesn't give us specific answers to all of these questions. But this church in Acts, just over a dozen folks initially out the gate, got together. They devoted themselves to being together, to figure it out together. There's no cookie cutter answer to all those questions that I asked. There's no cookie cutter answer to the questions that they were considering. Eventually, they're going to need to make some decisions. But their only task out the gate was to wait in Jerusalem. And they delighted to do that together. And the list of who gathered is not by accident, okay? It's not, okay, well, we're sitting in a room and we start going around the table and it's just in the order like Dale and Bruce and Maddie and Wesley and Hudson and Krista. No, it is particularly and specifically listed out in a way to emphasize leadership. It would be like me listing out, say, Chris as an elder, and then Dave and Dave as our elder candidates, and then Bruce and Phil as our deacons, in particular order for a special purpose. And you see who comes first, right? It's Peter, James, and John. These three make up a core of Jesus's ministry. If you're familiar with the Gospels and the ministry of Jesus, these three are not more important than others, but they are strategically involved and specifically with Jesus in some very key important parts of the Gospels. And they bring continuity to not just Jesus's ministry, but they bring that continuity to the ministry of the early church. They were present when Jesus raised a little girl from death. When Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, they were there. They were there in Matthew 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration. They were there personally with him in the garden and Jesus specifically had instruction for them in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he was betrayed. They're listed first because they are close to Jesus and they will remain prominent as this early church moves forward to the ends of the earth. And they get to bear a significant burden of leadership. These brothers... The text says we're together. And to say together is frequently used in the book of Acts. And we will see this over and over again, depicting their unity, but also right before persecution happens. And with them were some ladies. It says the women. And it also says Mary, the mother of Jesus. And his brothers. So Jesus' brothers. We have James and Jude, right, who bo wrote books of the Bible. Those are Jesus' brothers. After Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had other children. And verse 14 tells us a second thing they were devoted to. First, they were devoted to fellowship, but then they also were devoted to prayer. 
Jesus' direct instruction led them to be together and to be devoted to prayer. And it's a natural response for those who hear God's word, who read God's word, to respond back to God with our own words. Prayer is basically speaking back to God. And in John 14, when Jesus was getting ready to be crucified, he knew that he would leave them. He promised them that he would send them the Holy Spirit if he did. And they're waiting for this very promise that we see in John 14 to 16. And they probably reflected on Jesus' words in John 14, verse 1. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. They're probably responding, we're trying, Father. Or 16.7, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. They're probably praying, please have it be soon. We don't know what to do. Or 16.33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We're waiting we're taking heart, we're trusting. But four times in the midst of that upper room discourse, which I think is in the same room that they are in right this very moment, Jesus encourages them to pray. He uses words like, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so when God speaks, his people respond in prayer. They're devoted to these things. And without a specific leader per se, they align themselves with Jesus's character and Jesus's words because God is true. No one is saying, well, it's time that we add a prayer service to the calendar. Let's form a committee and figure out maybe we should go this route or that route. They obey together and they collectively respond to God in prayer. And friends, this should be our natural bent, especially in the midst of our questions, right? And I typically see one of two things take place when we set out to pray. First, we tend to fear man more than fear God, who we speak to and who we pray to. We think about our words. Are our words going to be approved by somebody else in the prayer gathering? Will I have the right words to say? And Jesus gives us an example of a child, right? A child doesn't go to their parents and say, okay, I got to make sure I have all these words written down properly that my father or my mother hears them and responds to me how I want them to. No, they, a child just asks a lot the same thing over and over again where we act in Jesus' name, aligned with his character, aligned with how he has directed us in his word, and we need not fear, man, we're talking to God. They didn't think, I wonder if Mary will think I'm stupid. They don't think, man, Andrew is so spiritual. Or John, he's the one that Jesus has loved. What is he gonna think about my Words. These are normal, common folks like you and I just talking to their Father in heaven. We tend to fear man. Second, I think we act without considering prayer. This is where I tend to struggle. 
Peter will know the way. Let's just go with him. Or Zebedee, he's got a boat. Maybe we can get it over to the Mediterranean Sea and we can just get to Rome. I know what to do. Let's just do it. This is my typical posture. We'll just figure it out along the way, even without asking God for direction. I'm sure they were scared. Maybe they're praying for courage. Protect us, help us to be bold. Minimize persecution, please, Father. And it's okay to pray for help. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciples, he must come after me and take up his cross. The cross was heavy, but okay. He says, follow me. All right. Then he says, to die. He said, to die. Those are difficult things, and prayer will give us courage, church. And prayer includes remembering who God is, where he speaks to us, and we want to respond back to him. As we go, we are called to be holy, so can you help us, Father? You call us to bear burdens of each other. Would you help me to do that, God, because it's hard. When my brother or sister struggles in their sins, we are to weep with them, we're to rejoice with them, we're to love each other as our, we love ourselves. God, this is not natural for me. God, would you help me to do these things? I am a finite person. You may be surprised that I only have two ears and one brain, but when we sit down at our dinner table, all four of my children, myself and my wife, we sit down and everybody wants to share the same, or not the same thing, the story of their day, all at the same time. Maybe you guys deal with this at your house. And I cannot hear and understand all of them at the same time. And so I have to constantly remind them, okay, can we just have one conversation? Because I do want to hear what everybody wants to say. I'm limited, but God is not. God can hear it all from all of us and all Christians in the entire world at the same time. He is infinite. He can comprehend all the prayers, all of the saints, and he delights to listen to them and he delights to respond to them. This church devoted itself to fellowship and this church devoted itself to prayer and we can follow this example. When we pray on Sunday morning, Actually consider the words that our pastoral prayer is and pray those words. Let's pray for one another and we hear of a need immediately. We don't say like, I'm going to pray for you and then we forget, right? We, we all do that. It's okay. Immediately sit down with somebody and say, hey, can we pray right now? Take the bulletin home with you. We put the items that we put in the prayer pastoral prayer in the bulletin for you so you can take it home. And as you maybe take some notes on the sermon or you look at the prayer requests that are on there that you can sit down at your table or you can sit down when you do your morning devotions or whenever you do that and you can pray for the youth in this church or you can pray for Rebecca or you can pray for our partner churches that we are partnered with in the gospel here in this area. My guarantee, church, is the more that we pray for each other, the more that we come alongside each other, the more that we love each other, the more we will want to not only be with each other, but we will delight to pray for each other and also receive prayer 
from each other. It's an easy way that we can bear one another's burdens. Knowing that we are loved by each other will lead us to want to love each other more intentionally. And so together, let's follow the example that this church does. They devote themselves to prayer. And these tools and consistent fellowship that we have with one another will help us to pray together. The church was devoted to prayer and to fellowship. Third, they were devoted to the word of God. Look at verse 15 and following. Peter steps up. Coming up from the Mount of Olives, they go up to Jerusalem, they go up into the upper room and Peter stands up. I can't reach further up into the air. But this word that is used of Peter stepping up is of a word that is used in the New Testament of someone being raised to life. The foot-shaped mouth man, Peter, speaks up. The man who three times denied Jesus during Jesus' trial. The one who Jesus called Satan when he opened his mouth and tried to correct Jesus, speaks up. He takes the admonition that Jesus gave him in John 21 to feed and to love his sheep seriously. His sheep. I know how to speak English. The church has now grown tenfold. There are about 120 folks. This time, Peter doesn't use his words. He uses the word of God to encourage God's people. Fellowship and prayer is mixed with, third, a devotion to God's word. And this is a model that the early church gives us that we too can follow and emulate. Eager for the Spirit's arrival, that catalyst to ignite a fire for the mission to the ends of the earth, this small church starts to take shape. Devoted to being together, devoted to praying together, they become devoted to God's ministry of the word together. In September 2021, many of you were here, Cornerstone became an autonomous church planted by East Randolph Baptist Church. And we needed bylaws, we needed elders, we needed to know our members, we needed to know, are you in, are you out? Many of you had a question, like, it was awkward for all of us, like, are you going to stay? It's okay. But we, wouldn't want, we didn't want to prioritize organizing Cornerstone at the expense of our fellowship with one another and our prayer with and for each other and the ministry of the word that leads and guides us. The devotion of the early church was a priority and it should be a priority for any church to repeat and model and emulate their example. And we are going to see this church devote themselves to these things over and over and over again as we go through this book of Acts. And Peter takes them to a couple Psalms to remind them of two things. He reminds them of God's promises in the past and God's faithfulness in the future. As God has been faithful in the past, he will, church, be faithful in the future. And Peter knows this because he knows what God's word says. Down one apostle, Peter rests on God's faithfulness and prophesying that Judas's betrayal was known by God in advance. And God has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future to bring another apostle to take Judas's space. Go to the ends of the earth. Okay, we got that. You'll be my witnesses. Okay, no problem. People will hate you. Oh. 
we're down one man. Don't lose heart. I've overcome. I will send my spirit upon you. And the church, when they get reminders of that, takes a sigh of relief. Peter takes the lead. He says, look to the scriptures, wait and to trust. And Peter considers two Psalms. Psalm 69, it focuses on the path, or the, sorry, the past. This, things, this was prophesied. These things God said would take place. And so there is hope. And it's not a surprise that Psalm 69 ends with these words, for the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. These brothers will be in prison one day. Sing it'll be okay. Or Psalm 109, that gives them instructions for a next step to replace Judas. Judas is an example of divine judgment. But they did have a leadership gap. They needed one more to fill the space to have a perfect number of 12, modeling in some sense the 12 tribes of Israel with 12 apostles. God has it all under control. And in the throng of questions, the suffering and the discouragement, the Lord will be faithful in the future. And Psalm 109 finishes with more encouragement. Peter says, we need one more apostle. And Psalm 109, 30 and 31 encourages him, with my mouth I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng for he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. Just consider the comfort that Peter has from God's word and he wants to share it with the church who's gathering there with him. Because a good leader guides the church in prayer and a good leader also guides the church with the scripture. You don't know what's around the corner, but God does. It may be hard, but he will never leave you nor forsake you. We may struggle, we may be persecuted, we may even die, but God will not condemn your soul to death. He will always be with you, as Jesus says in his great commission, always, even unto the end of the age. These are great reminders, and we need to know God's word to remind ourselves when we get stuck in our own head. As Paul Tripp says, nobody talks to us more than we do. We need God's word to speak to us. And I wouldn't be surprised if the church in Vermont suffers more than it already does down the road. They persecute Christian schools. Why wouldn't they persecute the church? Some of us may end up being in jail for speaking the truth. It happens just up that border in Canada all the time. It may in one day end up in some of us dying for our faith. Ministry is hard. Being a church is hard. But God never fails. He is always faithful to us because he is faithful to himself. And Peter knows this. And God's word provides promises that we can rest on. And Jesus' words are the rock that we can build, not only the foundation of this church, like a cornerstone, but we can build our life upon. When the storms and trials, the waves crash in, we aren't building our house upon sand. We are building it on a strong, firm foundation on God's word. In the early church, we'll be persecuted. 
and some of them will die. And they needed this encouragement in Acts chapter 1 because in some soon chapters, they will start to suffer even more. We might not suffer much persecution right now, church. Many around the world do. But by the grace of God, a devotion to the word of God and to prayers to God will get us to the end of our journey. We do not know what the future holds for us, but God does, and we can rest and be assured upon Him. And from the very beginning, this early church was devoted to each other, to prayer, and to the scriptures. And I think we can learn something from this, right? We can continue to give ourselves to the same ordinary means of grace that this church did. And Peter begins to take the lead on what matters most. I heard one pastor recently say, prayer is the most effective anxiety reliever because we, as we pray, we can offload our concerns to the most attentive, loving, wise, powerful being in all the universe. Amen? But they still need another leader. They need 12. And verse 22 gives them some stipulations. This brother who's going to take the lead must be someone who was with them from the very beginning. They were there at the end when Jesus rose from the dead. They probably spent time with Jesus in those last 40 days before he ascended into heaven. Only a man who has walked with Jesus, who has heard him voice, who's seen him raised from the dead can fulfill this role of an apostle. And I think it's noteworthy that they don't consider and put forward a woman. And no offense to you ladies in here, Jesus' Jesus' mother was there, okay? If anybody could have some authority in that church, it would have been Mary, or maybe Mary Magdalene, or Martha. Women were the first people to see Jesus at the resurrection. Women are important, but they don't put forth a woman in here. And I think like we just went through our study in 1 Timothy, that God has given leadership in the church to men starting back in Genesis 1 and 2 in a creation order. These guys meet the qualifications. No alternatives are presented. The guys are Bersabbas and Matthias. It's one thing to pray about something. It's also one thing to go to God's word, to be directed to do something, and then actually go do something about it. A decision has to be made. Who should they choose? Is one more charismatic? Does one have a greater following? Who's a better preacher? The text doesn't say. But in verse 24, it reminds us that this church was devoted to. Again, we see the bookends. They began with prayer and they ended with prayer. Maybe they recall Jesus' words and they pray Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Or they remember John 14, 13 to 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Or maybe they pray from Luke chapter 11, verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to good good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Or Jesus' words from Matthew 16, 6, 10, from the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. One aspect of prayer is asking God for things. He's a generous father who delights to give gifts to his children. He delights first in our asking and he delights as well in giving. Walking with Jesus on earth helps establish either Matthias or Barnabas as a man who can lead this young fledgling church to the future, a witness to the resurrection. They don't ask for resumes. They don't establish a committee. They pray. And then they do something. And they trust God's sovereign hand in the process. They cast lots. It's like rolling dice or flipping a coin. Heads, Matthias, tails, Barsabbas. Doesn't sound very spiritual to us, does it? Casting lots is a religious exercise that both the Greeks and the Romans and the Jews practice. We see that in the Old and the New Testament as a way to just make decisions. But they trust God's sovereignty, which is very spiritual. They trust God's providence, wisely applying his sovereignty over two great options. Maybe it's crazy to us, but it is not crazy to God because we just saw in Proverbs 30, 16, 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. God will choose who he wants to help this church move forward. And they had faith that God would do it. And Mar Matthias is chosen as a witness, as a martyr. We saw that last week, right? And it's okay to be honest, right? I wish that I would be a Matthias type. Wait, you don't hear of people naming their kids Barsabbas. You hear of people named Matthias. It's not like they're playing dodgeball and Barsabbas is the last guy. He's got to go sit on the bench and wait and watch because they ran out of spots on the team. But Matthias is a guy who's never once mentioned again in all of the scriptures. Church history says that he went to Turkey and planted some churches. But Barsabbas, on the other hand, he surfaces again in Acts 15. And if you're familiar with the book of Acts, there was a big decision that the church needed to make. There was a lot of division going on between the Jews and the Gentiles, and the apostles made a decision. And Barsabbas is a guy who was sent with some of Paul's companions to share the news of how they were going to unify the church. Okay, the guy that was left out, not chosen, is a guy that was sent by the leaders in the early church, unify the church. That's pretty cool, huh? This young church was devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the scriptures and they were devoted to prayer. And they will continue to do so throughout this amazing book of Acts. And leadership will get stronger, but the common component of leadership is a group of men who are going to lead this church in the ordinary means of grace. And apostles will lead and deacons will serve and elders of churches will be established. No-name brothers and sisters in Christ, fringe Christians, common folks like you and I, and apostles will be significantly used by God to accomplish great things. 
and many in our world today, especially some high-profile evangelical leaders and preachers, teach that hearing God's word is crucial to your walk with God. If you don't hear God's voice regularly, they may say, you don't have much of a relationship with God. That's a lie. Many in our church think believe that lie. So we just make up things that we want to hear. God wants me to do this or do that. Or I'm just not going to get involved because I don't have a clear direction of what God wants for me. But because of the work of Jesus on the cross, the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he redirects and repurposes all of those things because God continues to speak to his people through his word today. Friends, if you want to hear God's audible voice, you can read your Bible out loud. But we respond back to God in prayer. We don't need to cast lots. We don't need to flip a coin. We trust the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. The New Testament as well as the Old Testament to lead us and guide us. And we may be faced with decisions as a church down the road between two good options. And it's okay to make a decision, maybe like a roof, between two good options, and it'll be okay. There are decisions before us as a church. Should we do evangelism training to help equip our people to go and share the gospel to the ends of the earth that just happens to be here in central Vermont? Maybe. Should we update our facilities to better serve our people? Maybe. Should we hire some staff so they can proofread my emails or send them on my behalf and I don't make mistakes? Just kidding. Maybe. Should we hire somebody to do something with the youth ministry or for music? Whatever. We, there's questions all over the place for us in this small little church in central Vermont. But maybe like this early church, the answer to those questions is already part of the church like Matthias. Maybe you'd serve to lead in some evangelism training. Maybe you'd fix stuff around the building. Maybe you'd jump on the soundboard or the video booth or proof made my emails. You're more than welcome to do that. Maybe one of you'd learn to preach and to cover the pulpit from time to time, to share God's word. Why are you laughing, Loretta? Chris can do it. Maybe God would provide for our needs directed in his word through prayer by somebody who's already part of this church. We have needs in the kids ministry and the youth ministry. We have facility needs. We have needs with audio and video. If you want to play music, you want to sing we, we are praying for that and God has clearly given us a plethora of blessing in that so let's keep praying for the things that God wants that we've sensed God wants from us because this was testament as we will see again shortly an answer to those prayers and Peter rose up to lead this fledgling church maybe you'd rise up to serve this church we could draw numbers out of a hat on each Sunday. Like you sit in a random chair and okay, whoever's got number four, I hope you like changing diapers because you're in the nursery this morning. If you aren't serving, consider how you would 
let me or one of the other leaders know. This church was obedient to God's call in Acts. They waited for the Spirit. They talked to God through prayer. And God talked to them through the Scriptures. And they made some decisions to move the Gospel forward to the ends of the earth. And they did it together. We get to practice that each Sunday. We get to even practice that right after our service. So stick around for our family gathering. Even if you didn't bring anything, please stick around. We have plenty of food. We're going to have some fun. We're going to have some fellowship. Get to know one another. There's a lot of new people that have recently joined us. Get to know each other. You can do that today. You can do that each week. Don't just hit the door right after the prayer is over and leave. When you do that, we get to miss out on encouraging one another with the scripture. We get to miss out on praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens. And whenever we need to find a new elder or pastor like 30 years from now, or if anybody wants to lead in this church, let's be a church that's committed to leading and finding someone who will lead with what we have modeled in the scriptures today. Men like Peter and men like Matthias that are devoted to prayer and God's word and then trusting God with whatever he would do through us in the days ahead. Would you pray with me? Father, it's a great privilege to week by week stand up here to open up your word to lead your people to respond to what your word says in prayer and God I pray that you would continue to use me or anybody else who is up here to humbly lead this church and how you've modeled in this early church. And God, you would transform us. You would conform us more to the image of your son. You would give us an, an affection for your word that is greater than all other affections. God, that you would lead us and guide us according to your scripture. God, that you would remind us and encourage us in the midst of suffering and questions and doubts because of the wonderful instruction you've given us in your word and God even now we lift up our prayers to you together praying that you would bless us as a church not to ask for more resources or protection although those would be great but that you would bless us and that we would have a greater sense of faith and assurance in who you are and what you've done and that out in light of all of that, that we would go to the ends of the earth, even to our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and strangers that we come across in this place we live. God, we thank you. We want to lift up our voice to sing of how great and worthy of our praise you are right now. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.